Hallelujah. We thank the Lord this morning. Thank the Lord. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for being in uh, discipleship this morning. And uh, we're just thankful to the Lord for his word and, and to be in his presence again. Uh, today we'll finish up with the series on living unselfishly. And um, I hope that you've been able to apply some of these things to your life. Uh, I think we've seen some of the fruit of these lessons and some uh, testimonies we've had over the last couple of weeks that we're learning to uh, you know, just give ourselves to the work of the Lord and, and to His, His will and His calling and, and to live unselfishly, to realize that uh, it's not all about me, it's about the world. It's, uh, you know, I know that um, I need to make sure I save myself need to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. I need to make sure my house is in order. I got oil in my lamp. But then I need to also be wondering about those that are in this world. Am I the link? Am I the one that could reach somebody, to encourage somebody, help somebody? Like we talked about last week, could I love somebody to where it would make a difference in their life and, and help fix them and heal them, get them closer to the Lord? But today, uh, this message kind of sums up, really, uh, the whole of what we've talked about in the last four weeks. Uh, not my will, but thine be done. And the lesson idea is that we must seek God's will above our own. God, it's what you want me to do. It's not what I want me to do. That matters most. And you know what's wonderful oftentimes is that uh, what I want to do is okay with God and that's His will. Sometimes you're in the right spot. I, yeah, I want to. I always wanted to preach. I'm thankful that was His will. If it had not been His will, I would not be standing here today. I would be sitting there <laughs> because I tell you, I was, I was in it for whatever, but I wanted to preach and, and preach His word and help people and I'm thankful that that lined up with what God saw that I could do. But we must seek God's will above our own so that we can model Jesus Christ and live unselfishly. Let's pray for the lesson this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for your example. Lord, what an example that you've given us to walk in this world, to, to reach for people, to love people, to have compassion. And Lord, today... Lord, you've shown us how it is to just be obedient through it all. So let us receive the word into good ground today so we can grow and be better. We can be changed and be more like you. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a hand clap for his word this morning. What a great God. What a great God. Thankful. Uh, I want to do his will. And, uh, you know, our scripture focus is this, Matthew 26 and 39. It says, speaking of Jesus, and he went a little further, fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And so in these final hours of the earthly ministry of Jesus, Matthew is 
giving us a very personal glimpse of the intense events that surrounded the last hours of the life of Christ. In the hour of his greatest temptation, uh, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the name Gethsemane means a place for pressing. And as the events of the evening unfolded, the place for pressing turned out to be just as it was advertised. It was a pivotal moment, not only in the life of Jesus himself, but also for all humanity. You realize what was going on in that garden was not just for him, but it was for us as well. Jesus had entered into the garden to spend time in prayer for himself, for himself, for us, and in anticipation of the suffering that was coming. Having just finished the Passover meal with his disciples, Jesus understood that what was coming was going to be difficult. So he went to prayer and asked his own disciples to join with him. His prayer was agonizing and sorrowful. It was a prayer that came from the depths of his being, a prayer that wrestled with the impending will of God, which he knew must be obeyed. As time wore on, the disciples fought sleep and were unable to watch and pray. Yet Jesus continued to wrestle with the will of God. Three times Jesus prayed for the cup of suffering to pass from him. Three times with great agony and sorrow, Jesus pleaded with the Father. But his ultimate submission was found in one word that he prayed, nevertheless. It may seem insignificant to the casual reader, but in that one word, the weight of eternity dropped onto the shoulders of the Messiah. Jesus understood the severity of what was coming. He was aware that he was facing the final hours of his life, hours that would be filled with pain, abandonment, and embarrassment. There's no reason to doubt why he wrestled with that decision, knowing what we know on this side of Calvary. The reason he submitted is because that is why he came into the world. It was the ultimate sacrifice that he was to pay so that humanity could be released from the grip of sin. Because Jesus submitted to God's will, humanity was offered freedom, the opportunity to be forever set free from the bondage of sin and Satan. We can now submit to God's will, and through submission we can experience life in that more abundantly. From this powerful moment in biblical history, we have been given insight into what it truly means to follow and obey the will of God. It seems sometimes that the will of God, for us, we think it is very difficult to determine because we wrestle with the will of God sometimes. We, uh, we, we're so worried about being right that we're scared to make a move sometimes. I mean, that's, uh, that's just a fact. I've been there. Uh, surely you have been too. You've prayed for th- certain things and you yeah. thought, Lord, I want your will, but you're so afraid of taking the wrong step that you take no step. Yeah. And, um, but the will of God is not impossible for us to discern. Yeah, that's right. Right. Uh, that would be unfair of God to do that to us, and God is a just God. Yeah. He's righteous, and he's not uh, the author of confusion. Uh, he's never confused about what his will is. We are. He he doesn't even put it in a confusing way because he's not the author of confusion. We confuse the simplicity of his will sometimes by trying to add things to it, squeeze it into our life, squeeze it into our our habits, squeeze it into our uh, job or into our school or into our relationships sometimes. We, We try to... Uh, fit God's will into it and you have to start chiseling on it or, or trying to press it and, and change what it actually is to make it fit. But it's not that his will should fit my life. My life should fit his will. Right. 
And so uh, we can, uh, you know, find the will of God. Everybody, if you go to the Lifeway bookstore and just cruise through uh, some of their uh, help sections in there, you'll see that everybody has written a book on how to find God's will for your life. Man, there's books, I mean, by people who have no idea who you are or what you're going through, but they're going to tell you exactly how to find God's will for your life. It's a, it's a great subject to write about, and evidently it sells books. Because people want to know how to find God's will. I think there are some steps that uh, we ought to recognize, uh, and if we would do these things, it would be a lot easier on us finding the will of God for our life. Number one, uh, and we can find this in the example of Jesus as he prayed in the garden. Uh, number one, prayer is essential to knowing the will of God for your life. It is when you talk to God. It is when you hear from God. It is communication with God. And, and uh, you are going to be looking for a needle in a haystack if you are trying to find the will of God without talking to God. Prayer is essential to knowing and being able to submit to the will of God. And God, number two, number one, uh, that will help us with the will of God is make sure that you're looking in the word of God. Because you are never in the will of God if you are outside the word of God. Everything for your life, we live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And if you are living according to His will, you are living according to His word. And when you get outside the word, you're outside the will. So make sure that you are in the will. And now, it's not just enough to read the word of God. Then comes faith in the word of God and obedience to the word of God. These are how you find the will of God for your life. When you will pray and get into the Word of God, you will step right into the will of God because He orders our steps in His Word. Yeah, finish my sentence. Come on. <laughs> That's why I was trying to get you to help me out. The Word. His Word is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. And it's the entrance of His Word that, that giveth light. You know, we, we see so many scriptures, so if you want to know something about your life, look in God's Word and pray and talk to Him, and then walk in that Word, and it will help you to be uh, obedient to the will of God. There's, man, we could just talk on that for a long time, but we're not going to get to the lesson, but, but the Word of God cannot ever be replaced in your life. And I can tell you, I don't care how good people are. I don't care what kind of works they have. If they are not in the Word, it's just them. It's just flesh, and it, that's all. It's their reward, their work, their labor. It's not God. God wants you in His Word. And so uh, as we look at what happened that night uh, with Jesus, um, we can compare a couple of things. You know, Jesus is referred to as the second Adam, and, of course, Adam in creation, the first Adam. But when you compare what happened in the Garden of Eden to what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, there are two very powerful truths that are revealed. Number one, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve failed by yielding to the temptation of Satan. In the Garden of Gethsemane, 
Jesus Christ overcame by yielding to the will of God. The will of God was for Adam and Eve to be there. The will of God was for them to stay away from that tree. But they went against the will of God, gave in to the word of the deceiver, and ended up being cast out of the garden. And so this one moment at the end of the ministry of Christ on this earth is of great importance. And although the effects of Adam and Eve's decision in the Garden of Eden totally altered the trajectory of the human race, the decision of Jesus also had eternal ramifications. In Romans 5, Paul begins to talk about these two Adams and the role that they have played in the history and the lives of mankind. In Romans 5 and 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, of creation, sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God, and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. And then he sums it up with this, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And so he was uh, talking about Adam and Jesus and how that Adam had gotten out of the will of God, actually made a very selfish choice. Him and Eve were selfish because they chose to appease their flesh instead of uh, obeying the word of God. And it cost not just them, but it affected us as well. Uh, The Garden of Eden was a place of peace. It was paradise, and it was great joy. Even today, people, if they want to refer to something that's perfect, they'll say, man, it was like the Garden of Eden. You know, it's, or they go see a garden. Man, that's like the Garden of Eden it, it, because it was perfect. God created it, put man there. But it became a place of judgment and tremendous regret. It's amazing how quickly sin can ruin such great things. There once had been provision, purpose, and God's presence always near. Yet the decision of one man and one woman eradicated any semblance of paradise. When God's will was abandoned at the altar of human pride and self-will, the consequences were severe and death became certain. Sadly, the impact of their disobedience is still being felt today throughout every corner of the earth. One selfish decision altered history. On the other hand, the Garden of Gethsemane was a place of great sorrow, of anguish, and suffering, but it became a place of great victory. The prayer of Jesus in the garden and the words he spoke reveal the magnitude of his decision He was waging war. He even told his disciples who fell asleep about the struggle when he said, The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. 
He was in a place of great suffering where his sweat became his drops of blood. He was agonizing. You think about the Savior who knew all that he could do uh, and all that he had done, and uh, it was possible for him, if he wanted to, to stop this, but he was sticking with it, and he was praying at three different times, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, your will be done. He, he knew what was coming, but he knew that he had uh, to do this. And so in a place and out of a place of suffering and tears and agonizing uh, torment came great victory. And so we, we see the, the flip side of both of these things that whenever we give in to the will of God, it doesn't matter how tough the situation is, God can make a way. And uh, he was able to, through prayer and obedience to God, accomplish the will of God because he was willing to give his life or live unselfishly. He was able to uh, do what God wanted him to do. And so the passage does not only reveal that it was a struggle, but also that when Jesus submits to the will of God, the result was now glorious. And now all humanity is able to experience the powerful and joyful deliverance provided by what Jesus did at Calvary. You know, Hebrews says that it was for the joy set before him. And, and it's hard sometimes to imagine that, but uh, you remember who he is. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows what is going to be accomplished as he dies on that cross. He understands that it will be humiliating and that it will be shameful and that it will be very painful. No man ever went through the things that he went through, but he did it because he knew that there was something better coming. And so when we submit to the will of God and live unselfishly and, and go ahead and do what he called us to do, to do, great victory can come from it. And so we need to make sure that uh, we check ourselves sometimes and not just asking God to, to, to just work our life out and make it all smooth sometimes. That's, Lord, just take all my problems away. Even Jesus said, I'm not asking for that. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, just keep them, you know. Uh, when they go through these things, and he told them, he said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome this world, and so I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of it. So if it's going to be tribulation in the world, but he's going to be with me until the end of it, I've always got him, no matter what I face. And so I, it's easier for us to submit to the will of God when we know he's always with me. Submitting to the will of God is not just a mental decision. Because we can think it, but then you've got to act on it. You've got to follow through. You've got to carry it out. Uh, thinking about it and making a decision, yes, I am going to do what God called me to do, and actually doing what God called you to do, two different things. It's just like uh, you decide I'm going to get up and cut the grass, but you stay on the couch. And then you look out the door and you're shocked that the grass has still not been cut. Uh, made a decision, I would cut the grass. But did you get off the couch and do it? Well, no, but I just thought if I thought about it and was willing to do it, it would happen. It don't. You've got to follow through on what you think, what you have in your heart, and when you know that God has put something in your life, then follow through on it. Don't just say, yes, I will, and then don't go. You know, there, was, there was scripture about that, about a man who said, oh, yeah, I'll go, but then he doesn't go. And then one guy said, no, I'm not going. But then changes his mind and said, I will go. 
And that's the one who did the will of God. And so make sure that we are doing what is asked of us, not just agreeing to it, but actually following through with it. In uh, 2 Corinthians 12, uh, Paul, uh, he, was, uh, he had some things going on in his life in, in, in verses 7 and 8. He said, lest I should get a big head, is what he's saying. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And then he says, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Now, it's interesting to me that he, he prayed for this three times, and Jesus prayed three times. And, uh, you know, at the end of that third time, there was no more need. He knew he was going to carry it out. At the end of these, this third uh, approach to God about move this thing for me, God finally lets him know, I'm not going to do that because my grace is sufficient, and you can accomplish my will with these thorns in your flesh. And so uh, we'll talk a little bit. We'll read some more about that in just a moment. But, but this is what's happening is that uh, Paul is trying to submit uh, to the work of God, but he's got something going on in his life, and he's feeling like this is going to stop me. Paul prayed three times, but uh, God said, I'm not moving these thorns. By eventually submitting to the will of God, Paul discovered the power of Christ working in times of weakness. Because he just went ahead and, and served God anyway, he was able to say at the end of his life, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith, and I'm about to get a crown of righteousness. And so uh, he, he, he let us know through his example that sometimes, I've preached on this before, that we can serve God despite the thorns, and, and you can still accomplish God's will even with uncomfortable situations in your life. There was nothing comfortable about Calvary, but what a victory it won. So you and I will never lose by obeying God, but we will always gain better insight and understanding uh, when we uh, submit to the Word of God. Now, Jesus understood in that garden. He got revelation in that, that place, and he learned uh, a lot of things through his suffering. And there were four places, uh, four things, that uh, areas that Jesus got understanding. Uh, number one was that he knew he was taking on the sins of the world. Every sin that had ever been committed from the Garden of Eden to the cross of Calvary and every sin that would ever be committed from Calvary to the return of the Lord was in that cup he was looking at. And uh, I'm not saying that that act cleansed future sins off of people. People still have to repent and be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. So don't, don't, that's not what I'm saying, but... There will never be a sin committed that was not, that Jesus is not caught off guard today. We are. Whew. People doing some crazy things, and we get caught off guard, but Jesus is not surprised at how people are. He, he saw all that at Calvary. He knew what was going on. And so uh, the, Peter wrote this, 1 Peter 2 and 24, that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So Jesus knew, I'm taking on the sin of the world. The next thing was that the man, Christ, was going to feel what it was like to be separated by carrying these sins. Knowing that Jesus Christ was fully man and fully God, he, he never knew what it was like because he was tempted in all points, yet without sin. So he never knew what it was like to be separate from God. 
He never has any idea. He, he knew what it was like to be separate from men because he said, before he went into the garden, he said, the time's coming when everybody's going to forsake me, but I'm not alone because the Father's always with me. He knew that, but if he knew that, why on the cross would he say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because now the sin of the world was on him. Not, he didn't commit sin, but the sin was on him. And so he felt the weight, and he felt what it was like as a human to be separated from God. He knew already that he, who he was, I and my father are one. He knows that we're not separate, we're not different, but it wouldn't be the same if he never felt what it was like. He could, what kind of suffering is that to, if you took sin on but it didn't affect you? If you didn't feel it? He had to feel what we feel. You know how you felt or how you, uh, when you, uh, before you knew God. I know what I felt like. Like to have sin in my life and to be separate from God and to be separated from Him. The Bible says that sin and our iniquity separates us from God. And so now Jesus feels this, and this is a brand new first time experience for Him. And so He cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so this is the next thing that He knew was coming. And, and His flesh uh, was fearful of that. It was, uh, He. He didn't want that, but he did it because he knew that he was the one. To this end was I born. Number three, Jesus was going to provide victory over sin for all humanity. So in knowing what was coming, he also knew uh, what his sacrifice was going to provide. On our own, we are not able to break free from the chains of sin. However, because Jesus bore our sin and overcame them through his sacrifice, we can now stand free, forgiven, and victorious. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, and 57 says that the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have the victory. I'm thankful today. Don't ever quit because you already have the victory. You know, we'll say quitters never win. We all say winners should never quit because we are winners. We have been given the victory through Christ. So don't ever quit. You've already won if you will stick with Him. Follow His ways, follow His word, follow His will. And then lastly, Jesus shows us and He reveals the need for obedience to the will of God because knowing all these things is not what provided the answer. It was following through that provided the answer. History began with Adam and Eve saying, my will be done. But Jesus settled history by declaring, not my will, but thine be done. And this one act of submission opened the door for humanity to experience this gift of salvation. Uh, we're able to be born again, filled with his spirit. He said, you know, he, he let on, he said, if I don't go away, the Holy Ghost can't come. Yeah. Well, for him to go away, he was going to have to go to the cross. Yeah. He knew there were things between that statement and it, and it coming back to us. And he knew that he was going to have to go through the trials and through all the torture and all the pain and suffering and, and then die, be buried, rise again, and then ascend. All these things were going to have to happen before that promise could come. He knew that, but he knew if, if this can happen, 
the world is going to be coming back into reconciliation with God. This is what's going to fix humanity. This is the answer. This is the only way. And you know what? The awful things seem like they never end, but it ended. As awful as those hours were, they did end. When he drew that last breath, the pain stopped. They put him in the tomb, and three days later, death didn't have a hold on him. It stopped. Whatever you're going through, it'll stop. It might be tough right now, but it'll be worth it. Hang in there. You're going to make it. Jesus made it. It's the will of God. And so he said, not my will, but thine be done. There is power to submitting to the purposes of God. So how can we now fulfill the will of God in our own lives? And so seek, we need to, when we seek the will of God, it can be patterned after the example of Jesus in the garden. We recognize, again, the need for prayer when we start to make decisions that are important in our lives. All things ought to be done with prayer. We've been talking about prayer on Wednesday nights. We've talked about it in that threefold chord and, and how that Jesus said when you pray and, and the way we should pray. And so we've got to have faith in what the Word says about prayer. And what we see about the Word, we find that people get answers when they pray. They get direction when they pray. They, hey, they get correction when they pray. You know, hey, God, uh, you know what? When I was a kid, I'd do whatever to avoid a whooping. I'd hide. I, I would run. I would, uh, you, know, you, you ever run from your parents? You, you, it was a mistake. But at the time, it seemed like the right answer. Uh, because you just, all I could think about was sparing my legs or my backside from that belt or that switch. So you tried to, but you know what? You was a kid. Where are you going to go? You got to come home. So it's just waiting on you. You, you know, so you can't. Uh, you, but you want to, to run. You need. But uh, hey, you know what? Paul said when I was a child, I acted like a child. But now, uh, now I'm grown up. I put away childish things. Uh, it's time to stop running. Take your medicine. If God, if you've got to correct me, correct me, because I got to go to heaven. I can't miss heaven. I I can't not have spent all this time preaching and and praying and and working for you to be lost. Uh, if you've got to correct me, the Bible says the Lord loves those that He chastens. And so, uh, and He said, if we despise chastening and put it off, then we are, uh, you know, a little bad word. And uh, we don't have, have a father. And so, uh, yeah, I, you know, I could say that, but people start giggling when you say them words. And I, so I try to stay away from that. I say donkey and stuff like that instead of, because you say the other word, people go... But when you live unselfishly, you'll let yourself be corrected. Because you know it's ultimately for your betterment. Even when, you, even when your parents would say, I'm doing this because I love you, you didn't believe them. But as you got older, you realized, yes, they do. They do love me. And our kids, maybe they're the same today. Kids don't get whooped like they did, I don't think, anymore, like they used to. I mean, it was anybody who was who knew your family had license to whoop you if you were at their house. You know. and so, and honestly, I would have rather got whooped there than them call home and tell them, oh, when he gets there, this is what he done while he was at my house. Sometimes you got the whooping there and at home. It didn't matter. 
with nothing worse than getting whooped by my grandma and then her say, just wait till your daddy gets home. But you know how good my grandma was? She would never tell my dad. But I lived in fear for the next few hours, and I didn't move off the couch, and I did whatever she asked me to do because I knew it was going to be over. So pray to find God's will. Pray like Jesus fervently prayed in the garden. It's not like, now I lay me down to sleep, or God is great, God is good. I'm talking about pray. James 5 and 16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, ain't nobody ever been more righteous than Christ. And you see what his prayer wrought. The Bible says, By the obedience of one man were made righteous. Many were made righteous. And this man prayed this effectual fervent prayer of our Savior has availed much because we're here today because he didn't just take it lightly, but he fell in that garden and prayed earnestly. What do I do? If it's possible, let it pass. Not my will, thine be done. And here we are today. The flesh does not like to pray. Prayer is not something that just comes naturally, but it is necessary. It might not be natural, but it's necessary. If in prayer we overcome the fleshly resistance to what the Spirit desires to do in us. That's how Jesus got to where he could make it to that cross in that prayer. Jesus wrestled in prayer in the garden that fateful night. And again, as our scripture said, if it's possible, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He was able to overcome any resistance his flesh had. He was able to beat it that night in the garden. The Spirit was willing. Flesh is weak. I've got to overcome the flesh. And that's how we uh, build ourselves up on our most holy faith. And today we pray in the Holy Ghost and that helps us get. The Bible says we mortify the deeds of the flesh through the Spirit. So uh, if we don't want the flesh to rule our walk, then we need to be praying in the Holy Ghost. We need to be praying in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit so that we can submit to the will of God. We need to do that. Surrendering to the will of God is a great decision for any child of God. When you decide to do that, you are opening up doors in your life uh, that God can use you for so many great things. And in doing so, we can experience wonderful victory in our lives. Uh, Paul discovered that God's grace was sufficient. Remember, we talked about him with those thorns. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10, this is, was the answer that Jesus gave. He said, Unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul's got a new revelation. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If this is what it takes to get the power of Christ on me, then I'm going to take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And so when Jesus felt maybe at his weakest, he realized that every time he went back to pray, and he went back to pray, and he went back to pray three times. And, and when it was over with, he didn't run from the crowd that come to get him. He didn't have to talk back to them. He, he told one guy that was there, they, you know, Peter gets hot, pulls a sword, whew, slices the guy's ear off. He's like, put your sword up. He said, don't you know I could call angels right now? And stop all this. He said, but then how 
Can the scripture be fulfilled? And this is why I was, came here. This is why I was born. This is what I'm doing. This is me. Peter, you know, a couple of times he rebuked God. He rebuked the Lord one time for saying he was going to have to suffer and, and many things and then be put to death. And Peter rebuked him for that. And he said, hey, you get behind me, Satan. He said, you, you favor the things of men and not God. And, and so uh, Peter was, had a hard time letting go of Jesus. He was having a hard time letting Jesus do what God had for him. Sometimes other people will try to mess up the will of God in your life. And look, Peter was close to Jesus. Had a revelation. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was close to him. But just because he's close doesn't mean he knows better than the Lord. So don't let other people dictate the will of God for your life. Pray. God will talk to you. And sometimes he may talk to you through somebody else. But not everybody else. You get too many voices going on. Instead of making any move, you make no move. I don't want to stand back and make no move. So our entire purpose as Christians is for us to be formed into the image of Christ, for Christ to be formed in us. Paul prayed, you know, I, I want Christ form, see Christ formed in you. And so we do that by submitting to the will of God and obeying the commands of the Word of God. If we love Jesus, I know people get tired of preachers quoting this verse. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You'll never be more in the will of God than when you are living by the commandment. And sometimes, you know what? That's it right now. Sometimes that's all the will of God is for your life, is just keep living for me. We're praying about all these big things. And you should. But until that day comes, or until that door opens, keep serving God. Just keep walking. People are going to preach one day. Day of Pentecost is coming. He don't even know that yet. You know what Peter's doing day after day? Following the Lord. Peter gets a little concerned about his mission at the end before Jesus takes off and Jesus had been speaking to John, and Peter looks over and says, well, hey, Lord, what's this guy going to do? And Jesus says, what's that to you? You follow me. That's what you said three and a half years ago. Yeah, it ain't changed. It was the will of God then, it's the will of God now. Follow me. The doors are open along the way. Follow me. What you're going to do will open up along the way. Follow me. The very first words Jesus or Peter heard from the Lord, follow me, is some of the last words he heard from the Lord. Follow me. Quit worrying. Quit trying to worry about it, the will of God in everybody else's life. You follow me. I told you way back then I'd make you fisher, a fisher of men. So just keep following me. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Obey the commands of God. And when we do that in this way, we live lives that are pleasing to God. That's the will of God. Identifying with Jesus in this area of submission ensures that we will be vessels of honor and we are capable of being used in the kingdom of God. It will allow us to help the world, help others around us. Uh, If you're in the will of God, living for God, being obedient to God, what an example. That's what Paul told Timothy. said, don't worry about anybody and what they think of you as your age, Timothy. Be an example of the believers.
He told him to give attendance to reading, doctrine, continue in these things until, until I get back. You know, stay. You just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Because if you do that, it says it's not going to only save you, but all them that hear you, all them that surround you. So if we want to help other people and we want to be an influence in other people's lives, do the basic things. Give attendance to reading. Stay in the doctrine. Don't, don't be flipping around all over the place. You can't be, can't be an example. You can't pull up the, the sign that says uh, Athens City Limit and just go put it anywhere and that be Athens. It's got a place to be. It don't get to move. It's got to stay there, but it's very important because it lets anybody that comes by, anybody that comes by, it doesn't matter how old they are, how young they are, what religion they are, what race they are, nothing. It don't care. It's a signpost. I'm here to help you. I will always be here. I'm, you can't go change the name on it and, and, hey, let's go change it to Detroit. Well, it won't be Detroit. It'll still be Athens. But now people's confused. So just sometimes just be that signpost. Just be that example. Just be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. There's something to be said about standing firm, standing fast, causes you to abound, to be greater than you ever thought you could be. Some people think, well, I'll be great because I've got my hand in every little thing going on. No, you'll be an aggravation <laughs> because people's going to say, you think you know something about everything. You know what? Do what God called you to do and celebrate the other ones that are doing what God called them to do. There ain't no micromanaging for the will of God in other people's lives. So I hope that we will always desire to be what God is asking of us as his children. Let me be what you've called me to be. I, I think I say that to the Lord all the time. Honey, you can come on to the music. Um, you can stand with me. When we live unselfishly, that's living by the will of God. We're not going to do our will, but we're going to do his will. And when we do his will, we learn to love like Jesus loved, to have the attitude that he had. We learn to uh, be unselfish people, generous people giving people, kind people, forgiving people. Uh, there's a, an old story, a legend about a king. And he sets aside a day to honor his greatest subject in his kingdom. When the day arrives, there was a large gathering in the palace courtyard and four finalists were brought forward. And so from these four, he would select the winner. The first was a very wealthy philanthropist. The king was told this man is highly deserving of the honor because of his humanitarian efforts. He had given much of his wealth to the poor. The second was a celebrated physician. The king was told that this doctor uh, had rendered faithful and dedicated service to the sick for many, many years. And the third was a distinguished judge, and he was worthy because he was noted for his wisdom, fairness, and brilliant decisions. The fourth person was an elderly lady. Everybody was surprised to see her there because she was very humble. Her outfit, her attire was very humble. She hardly looked the part of someone who would be honored as the greatest subject in the kingdom. And so when the king uh, sees her, he's intrigued and, and he asks the judge, you know, who is she? Why is she here? 
And then the answer came. You see the philanthropist and the doctor and the judge. Well, yeah. Well, she was their teacher. The woman had no wealth, fortune, or title. But she had unselfishly given her life to produce great people. Too many people talk about being great. But it might be your calling to help produce greatness in others. Yeah. Maybe you've got that knack for just teaching people how to do what, you know, some people that can teach how to hit a baseball can't hit a baseball. Some of them, they, they, they know the science of it. They know the mechanics. They watch the films. They see it and they can tell them how to stand up. But you put them in the batter's box, they don't do any better. But they know. You don't see nobody's, uh, their name on anybody's jersey. But they're producing great athletes and great people. Because they can teach it. They know how to inspire it. And sometimes instead of maybe worrying about being great, we should be trying to inspire greatness in others. Yeah, that's what Jesus did. He told him at the end of his life, he said, the works that I do you shall do, and greater than these shall you do. Because I go to my Father. Any parent wants to see their kids do better than they did, be greater than they were. It ain't no difference with the Lord. Be greater. Do greater things. Do all you can do. And, uh, and maybe you'll just be that humble servant somewhere. But you might, you might inspire someone that's going to spark revival in a city. You might be the one that encourages somebody to, to seek a ministry somewhere in, in another country. It don't matter if they know my name, if they know him. And so I, I don't have to be great. But if I can help people get to greatness, get to what God wants them to be, that'll be enough. That'll be enough. Let's lift our hands and pray this morning. God, we thank you. Oh, I hope, Lord, that we can find it in ourselves to pray and say, not my will, but thy will be done. God, that we'll be humble and, and obedient, Lord, and always walking in your ways and in your word. And we're always living unselfishly, ready to give, ready to help, rather to push somebody. Lord, always ready to put somebody in front of us, Lord. It's, that's the way you were, God. So, Lord, help us now as we finish these lessons. We, we want to have a life that's lived unselfishly. That we can love people, we can give to people, be kind to people as you were. And that's how we'll win this world, by being the example that you set. We love you, we praise you, ask your blessing on us today in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Give the Lord a hand clap this morning. Hallelujah. 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 God's so good. You know, even the Lord, it said of the Lord that even though he knew he was equal with God, he made himself of no reputation. He said, I didn't come to be ministered to, I come to minister. 
I come to be a servant. So just be humble. Humble yourselves under the hand of God. It says that He'll exalt you. God will bless you and take care of you. And that's all that matters today. Thank you for being in Sunday school this morning. We love you. Get ready. We're going to have a great service. Let's find a place to pray. See God do some wonderful things. God bless you.